Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 5. We're going through the Bible together uh, as a church. On the weekends, we're in the book of Acts. And on our midweek right now, we're in the book of Genesis. They're both books of beginnings. Uh, the origins of life and our origins, our history in Genesis. And then in the book of Acts, the origins and the beginnings of the church. Uh, and what God's heart is for the church. Fascinating study. And we're studying in the book of Genesis the most important book in all the Bible. The foundations of all the rest of the scriptures are found in the book of Genesis. And it's the neglect of the book of Genesis specifically and the Old Testament generally that led some to the worst false teachings that have ever been invented by man. You eliminate God and it becomes a free-for-all. You redefine God and then anything goes. And so it's important that not only we study Genesis as a church, but also we spend time in Genesis, not just through our reading plan through the year, but on a regular basis revisiting the foundations that we learn in Genesis. So today we come to chapter 5, and chapter 5 is one of those chapters that would be easy to skip over because it contains a genealogy. And genealogies are not the most exciting parts of the Bible. They have family names. Some of them are hard to understand. But there are at least three things to remember with genealogies in the Bible. I mean, all of Scripture is inspired of God. It's pro all of Scripture is profitable. But for genealogies in particular, I want you to consider a few things. Number one, in this genealogy in chapter 5, God is showing us the bridge between Adam and Noah and the lineage from Adam to Noah. Number two, God is showing us his word is true, right here in the beginning. And you go, how would he do that through a genealogy? Well, he's showing us his word is true because he's reminding us that sin equals death. And in any genealogies, there's life and death, life and death, sin equals death. Thirdly, God will be contrasting in this genealogy in particular, the godly line of Seth ending with Enoch, and Cain's ungodly line ending with Lamech, the bigamist. And so as with any genealogy, death will play an important part as we see generations come and go. But even in this, gener in this genealogy that's filled with generational death, I don't want you to miss the grace of God. I, I don't want you to miss the grace of God because in this genealogy, there's references to life, to fertility, to Enoch, there's an emphasis on Enoch, and we'll get to him, and other blessings. You know, when you're reading a genealogy, you can't help but thinking of your own family. And you know, family and family lines, they can be messy. As people are starting to dig into Ancestry.com and trying to find their family line, they're not always happy with what they find. Because our family lines can be really messy and difficult. But God's grace is evident in all our family lines. And, and what I like to remind is I hear a family story. I have my own family stories. I always like to remind people, and I'll remind you now, we all have a family. And so all of our families are dysfunctional and in, the, in the deepest sense of that because sin has really wrecked us. 
And we don't want to minimize the difficulty that sin brings into our lives and into our families. But I also don't want you to miss in your own family line the grace of God and the goodness of God and his faithfulness and his forgiveness. And here you are, as messy as your family tree might be, here you are following the Lord. Maybe some of you are seeking him. Maybe some of you are struggling great. I mean, let me just speak to you for a second. Those of you struggling greatly with sin. And can you think of a time when you didn't struggle so much with sin? Like it was no big deal to you. You just lived in it, swam in it. You just lived in the ocean of this world and didn't have a care or concern about the things of God at all. And I know you might be beating yourself up right now for the struggle, but I want you to see wherever there's a struggle, there's life. There's life in the struggle. But even more so, even in the struggle, there's freedom available to you by faith, moment by moment, where freedom to obey, you know, in a second becomes a minute, becomes an hour, becomes a day, becomes a week, a month. Before you know it, you have a lifestyle of steady obedience. And sure, family lines can be messy, but the grace of God overcomes. Even as we were reading in Ephesians chapter 2, but God, don't ever forget that. Everything changes when God shows up. And those who are godly can experience tremendous victory over the effects of sin. So let's pick up by way of review in chapter 4, in verse 25. It says, As Adam knew his wife again, she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh, and then we got that, we ended our time last time so beautifully. That's when men became, began to call on the name of the Lord. And such a beautiful, remember the word Enosh, literally, or the, the word Seth, the name Seth literally means compensation. And it was through the godly line of Seth that men and women began to call upon the name of the Lord. Not all is lost. God does give second chances by the blood of Jesus Christ that you can turn away from your sinful patterns today and God will meet you in forgiveness. Not because of your merit, not because of your good deeds, not because of you, but because of the great finished work of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, and his resurrection. So notice with me now in verse one. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Now, before we go any further, I want you to mark that word in verse 1, that word book. This is the first mention of a book or a scroll in the Bible. It's the Hebrew word seper, and it means a writing or a book or a scroll. With that in mind, I want you to turn over to Matthew now, chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. So you have the beginning of the New Testament with the book of Matthew in the order that the canon was laid out by the early church. And I want you to notice in chapter 1, verse 1, what do we have again? A genealogy. And in the genealogy, it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. <clears throat> this is the Greek word biblios, and it, what does it mean? Book or scroll, very similar to the book, to the word in the Hebrew. And I want you to understand now the contrast. Genesis, if you're taking notes, 
is the book of the first Adam, where Matthew is the book of the last Adam, Jesus. Through the first Adam, we inherited sin, death, destruction, murder, violence, and eternal separation from God. But through the last Adam, all is redeemed and rescued. God still loved Adam and Eve in the garden and was working out his eternal plan of salvation through the seed, capital S, Messiah. And so you have this contrast between Genesis and Matthew as you see the first Adam and the last Adam. Come back now in chapter 5 of Genesis. When it comes to genealogies, they're important in giving us family lines and our ties to each other generationally. However, remember in genealogies, the true story and focus is only really interested in one line. There's a lot of families, a lot of connections, but only one lineage is important. That's the lineage of the seed, the promised Messiah. That's the only reason we have genealogy, so that we can point back to the authenticity of Jesus Christ as our Messiah. Another fact as we get in, these are important facts to jot down. There's 1,500 years between the fall and the flood. But you know, God only spends 140 verses or about five and a half chapters on that time. And then we'll see the rest of the book of Genesis is going to lay out for us how God deals with people and how he begins to develop the line leading to Messiah. And I think it's important that you realize by this time in Genesis, we should know man is not some cosmic accident, but a creation of intelligent design created as in the image of God. That's what he says in verse one. God wants you to know the value of your life. You're not an accident in any way whatsoever. God says that he made him in the likeness of God. You know, also we notice another emphasis on God's creative intent when it comes to man and woman. We're reminded over and over again in the Bible that God created man, then woman, and intended that they come together in marriage, fill the earth, and enjoy what he created. It's repeated once again within the first five chapters that it was not Adam and another Adam that came together. It was not Adam and Eve and another Eve that came together. God's ideal is a man for a woman forever in marriage. This is what he created. He created identity and gender. And while there may be a lot of redefinitions and a lot of confusion surrounding gender, I know that even if you're wrestling with that type of confusion today, there's clarity available to you in Christ. It's not as confusing as it feels. There's not so much pressure as you begin to live in the creative order that God has for you. God deals a death blow to confusion and brings clarity. I know it might be hard for you to see now. It might be hard for you to experience. But here as we open the Bible, we're not but five chapters into it. And we're reminded again about God's order in creation. And why does God have an order? Because he loves you. He wants us to know who we are. I think not only does God want us to know who we are, but as real as God is, there's a real devil. And he wants us to be confused on who we are. 
I, I think the devil is afraid of you adapting and understanding your God-given identity and living in it, in the power of the Holy Spirit, with, with absolute confidence in who you are and who God's made you. Because there's a lot of things in life and in culture we can't control. There's a lot of things we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen. But we can face them with the confidence of who we are in Christ. And the truth that we have in Him. Not some identity that's been imposed upon us. Not even an identity that's been imposed upon us in our homes or in our culture. But this is not imposed upon you. Listen, this isn't imposed upon us. It's given to us. It's a gift to know who you are. It's a gift to know God's will for your life. It's a gift to live in the confidence on how God created you and what his desire is for you. And it's repeated over and over and over again. Yeah, there's a lot of hard things in life and a lot of difficult things, but choosing the route away from God will always make things harder. We've certainly learned that with Adam and Eve. We've certainly learned that in their behaviors. And we don't need Adam and Eve to tell us that. We live that regularly. We, we live in a very micro scale daily. The wages of sin is death. I mean, I can't think of how, how many times Marie and I have wasted hours not talking to each other because we're mad at each other. Why? Because we sinned against each other. I mean, just hours. We just throw them away. Throw them away. Friendships and difficulties. That, that, they, that we live in a microcosm of the reality of the Garden of Eden, every day in our relationships in life. And yet at the same time, we also live in the freedom of forgiveness and repentance and, and the, the beauty of real change and growth in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Now, let me just say this with, when it comes to one man, one woman, one lifetime. I recognize a couple of things when we talk about these things. And first of all, some of you have been hurt by divorce maybe even had a divorce in your own life, and you know firsthand why God hates it. You know, you could look at that perspective, I can't believe God hates, well, you know, you know firsthand, you could, you could give us your testimony of how difficult it is because of divorce, whether it was in your family growing up, whether it was in your life. He's not condemning you by giving you the definition of marriage. It's not a condemning statement, because you might look at it with the lens of pain and failure, but God looks at it from the lens of, of though a man fall, he will rise. Though a man fall seven times, he'll rise again. He, he looks at it in the, in the lens of redemption. He looks at it in the lens of forgiveness. It's his desire to restore and to reconcile because he loves you. But anytime we open the Bible and anytime we have a real bona fide conversation in a real relationship, we must speak the truth. And the truth can sometimes be painful. But you know, in a real relationship, pain that comes from truth, you can deal with it. It'll help you grow. It'll help you see reality the way it is. It'll help you move forward in life. And secondly, when it comes to one man, one woman, one lifetime, I also acknowledge to you that in our culture today, you could say it's a blurred or a foggy moral atmosphere with sexual norms and sexual identity uh, being corrupted or changed or redefined. Now there's so much experimentation and wondering and chaos. It's led to confusion, pain, guilt, separation, and shame. But we would expect that. That shouldn't be a surprise to us living in a world where most of the world 
is not in relationship with Jesus. Or even for those that have called upon the name of the Lord, but now are living in a backslidden condition, you would expect that from backslidden men and women. And so our greatest weapon is for us to be in prayer and available, even as we were learning today with some discipleship with Pastor Ian, just the beauty of faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is is love. And looking at each other with faith, hoping the best in someone, with hope, knowing that, man, God can really do a change. And with love, hey, I, I recognize it's messy right now, but let's keep talking so the Holy Spirit can grab a hold of your heart. The Bible is clear nonetheless. It couldn't be clearer. Sexual sin will wreck your life, even while it feels like you're enjoying it. It will wreck your life. Now, let's move on in verse four. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So as we survey chapter five, we remember sin is multiplying very, very rapidly. And death is a result of multiplication of sin. It's exactly, if you just turn a couple pages, go back to chapter two, verse 17. Chapter two, verse 17. Remember, this is what happened of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day, you'll eat of it and you shall surely say with me, die. And now we're living out, the rest of the Bible is living out the result of that statement, of that truth. And I think in the back of our own minds, we're reminded of our own mortality, which brings about an urgency in our lives to be faithful. We only have a few years on the earth, church, to impact this earth for Jesus. As Pastor Chuck Smith taught us, only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. I mean, you're either going to believe that now or you're going to believe that then, but it's true. Only what's done for Christ will last. Psalm 39.5, listen, jot it down. Indeed, you have made my days as hand breaths and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. And to all of us today, young or old, our lives are fragile. And we don't know the day of our departure and the day of our death. So let's read on verse, verse six. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. And he begot, after he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years, begot sons and daughters. All the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Enosh lived 90 years, begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years, begot sons and daughters, and all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years, begot Mahalalel. After he begot Mahalalel, you you new moms, you're looking for a name for your kid? That's a good one. Mahalalel. Canaan lived 840 years, begot sons and daughters. All the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. And he begot Jared. Mahalalel lived 830 years and begot sons and daughters. So the days of Mahalalel late. You don't laugh at me. You guys read them. And there's someone in here that knows Hebrew is going to nail it right now. But uh, he lived uh, 895 years and he died. 
Jared lived 162 years, begot Enoch, and he begot Enoch. Jared lived 800 years, begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years. And guess what? He died. And Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he got Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years, begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. But notice, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. We'll get to that in a second. Verse 25, Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. And he begot, after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years, begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Lamech lived 182 years. He begot a son, called his name Noah, saying this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord had cursed. And after he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and begot sons and daughters all the days of Lamech were, Lamech were 777 years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old. And Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So just consider the years. Seth lived 912 years. Enosh, 905. Mahal, Lahal, Laleo, 895. Jared, 962. And it's just amazing to think of the lifespan before the flood. Even after the fall, there still is a closeness to the pristineness of the environment that God created. Are these literal years? Yes, they're literal years. Literal lunar years, 360-day years. And we notice now Enoch. Let's go to verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years, and he begot Methuselah. And it says that uh, after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years, begot sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were 300. He walked with God, and he was not for God took him. So what does God want us to know about Enoch? He walked with God. The last time we read of walking with God, it was Adam and Eve before the fall. The intimacy, you know, walking is a word that's used throughout the New Test the Old Testament and the New Testament as a picture of a relationship with God. And walking makes sense. It's a beautiful picture. God in his infinite wisdom gives us something we can understand. You know, first of all, walking implies progress. It employs a, a, a steady gait. Uh, it, it, des it, it describes a cadence to your life. It also makes room for the differences in the room. Everybody walks differently. Some of you have very long legs, so you have longer strides. So you can get somewhere faster with less steps. Some of you have little tiny legs that takes you two or four or 10 different steps to keep up with the tall. You know, we all have different cadences. We all have different ways we walk, but we all walk. We all make progress. And even those that perhaps, like we have brothers in our church that have lost and sisters that have lost the ability to walk, uh, you compensated that with a wheelchair or electric wheelchair. And the whole idea is to move forward, to duplicate walking. And even they're inventing things today. Uh, the, the technology and the science that's being developed today is even inventing things to help guys walk with and help gals walk with technology that attaches to the leg. And even if you don't have the feeling in it, they have the electronic things from your brain just that. It's just unbelievable what's available today. But here he is, Enoch, walking with God. Walking speaks of intimacy. It, it speaks of closeness. You know, you, you have in the Bible walking in the truth. You have in the Bible walking in the light. 
And all these are pictured here with Enoch. Enoch preached against the godlessness of his generation. He lived in times of great apostasy, great multiplication of sin, and prophesied to his generation with great clarity, clarity, passion, and conviction. Preached that the Lord was coming and that judgment awaited. It seems, though, that he started walking with God, at least the way the text lines out, after he had his son, after his son was born. And let me just say, there's nothing like a child that will melt the hearts of his parents, of his neighbors, of his aunts or uncles. Children have, you know, Jesus elevated children as a model to follow in life. You know, let the children come to me. The disciples go, we don't have time for kids. And Jesus said, no, you do have, you're going to make time for kids because they're very special and very important to my plan. And I found that entire lives can change after kids are born. It's one of the things that uh, really moves us and in our prayer life to continue as God year by year. You know, when we have, we have a Christian school here and whether it's open, it's a year by year decision. We pray, if it's still God's will for us, we provide it. And, and you know, the kiddos come, they're taught the word of God, and where do they take it? Right back home. Come to Sunday school, kids are learning stuff at their own level when they, they receive the gospel in Sunday school at their own age, and where do they take it? Right back home. It's a beautiful thing. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Enoch was taken away so they did not see death and was not found because God had taken him for before he was taken, he had a testimony that he pleased God. In other Bible studies, when I teach on the biblical teaching of the rapture of the church, Enoch is often used as a picture and a type of what it looks like to be raptured out as a believer, just to be taken away. What happened to Enoch? God took him. And you know, the whole world one day is going to say, what happened to the church? God took him, just like he promised They've been raptured away. There are two men, by the way, you Bible students, that didn't see death in the scriptures, Enoch, and the other one was Elijah. That's one reason why in Revelation chapter 11, I'm not one of them, but it's one reason why some will say that the two witnesses, as they're trying to guess who they are, will be Enoch and Elijah. I I have other choices there. You can listen to Revelation 11 on that. Um, But that's one of the reasons right here, because he's like Enoch, didn't taste death in the traditional sense. Enoch is in the first long line of God's spokespersons. According to Jude chapter 1, verse 14, he's the seventh from Adam. He prophesied about these men, uh, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Now, Methuselah, in verse 25, he lived 187 years and begot Lamech. And after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and begot sons and daughters. Now, Methuselah, in the, you know, when you're looking at Hebrew names, as we'll emphasize by the time we close today, we're going to emphasize some Hebrew names at the end of our study. There are different layers of approaches to the definitions. A, a Hebrew name is very descriptive. And one of the definitions for Methuselah is, when he is dead, he shall be sent. And what a great name. Because the idea behind that, I bet you everybody watched him like a hawk to see when he would die because then they thought Messiah would come. When he is dead, then the Messiah will be sent. But they learned, as even Eve did, that the Messiah will come on the timing of God. 
And as you study closely through this genealogy, you find that exactly the year that he died, those have done the math on this, is the year that the flood came. And Methuselah's long life was no accident. It was because of God's great grace toward man that God kept him alive to give many the opportunity to turn from sin and to turn to God. I know that absorbing the difficulty of a worldwide catastrophic flood of judgment of God is hard to receive, but you just got to turn your, just turn the view one notch and understand the great mercy and grace of God, that it didn't happen immediately, that a flood didn't come and just wipe out the garden and just be done with it and start over. Now, if you have your Bibles and you have a pen, you should write these down or take notes because I want to give you one gem before we go. It's an amazing hidden gem that's actually hidden in plain sight. And, and this is one of those where we read the Bible in an English translation, but remember the Old Testament is hit, written in Hebrew, and in Hebrew it can be very descriptive with the names, as I mentioned. And so here in chapter 5, we actually have a prelude or a gospel message through the names in this lineage. And I want to give a special thank you. The first time I heard this, I've, many, I've heard it many times, but the first time I heard it was sitting as a believer in the Lord for a couple years by a guy by the name of Chuck Missler. He was a guest teacher at our church, and, and he shared this with us in Genesis 5, and I was like, no way. So I went home to my Bible dictionary, and I'm like, oh, yes way. Uh, yes, this is awesome. This is amazing. And so I want to give a special thanks. He's gone home to be with the Lord for many years now. So if you're taking notes, verse 1, we have Adam. His name means man. Verse 3, we have Seth. We've already learned that his name can also mean compensated, but it also can mean appointed. And that's what I want to emphasize, Seth, appointed, verse 3. In verse 6, Enosh, his name means mortal. In verse 9, we have Canaan. His name means sorrow. Verse 12, my friend, maha, maha, la, la, el. His name means blessed God. Verse 15, Jared, his name means shall come down. Enoch, verse 18, means teaching. Methuselah, verse 21, his name can mean death shall bring forth. Lamech, verse 25, the despairing. And then finally, Noah, verse 28, rest or comfort. So here's the sentence when you use their names. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. Right here in Genesis 5, through the names. Now, here's what's going to happen. Some of you are going to go back to your Bible dictionary, and you're going to find different names. I just want to remind you about Bible dictionaries. Bible dictionaries are attempting, depending on which one you look at, through history to come to the root of a particular name or a particular definition. So, so you may find different names, but as you do, just understand you use one dictionary for this and one dictionary for that. Even I remember going through my topical index in the front of my Bible and some of the names were different. But in some dictionaries, as you put them together, you can see that even if some of these names were accurate, even if some of them were, because, you know, our brother Chuck Missler, he had a way of being elaborate in his teachings at times. And so even if some of them, even if some of them, you could see, you know, you don't even need the names, do you? 
Because you can already see the grace of God pursuing man. You can already see the grace of God wanting to forgive. You can already see the grace of God in giving a sacrifice. You can always see the grace of God in pursuing. You can already see the grace of God in even after death, more generations. Even after death, more generations. You can already see the grace of God with Methuselah, that Methuselah's name was significant, but it was significant up to the coming of the flood and a worldwide judgment. You can already see the grace of God in many different ways, but there are many other things that God would still have us to see in his word. And it could just be not anything hidden like this. It could just be in your regular Bible reading, there's something God gives you brand new. Like, I, let me just say, for those of you that when you read your Bible, you don't read it anymore because you, you've already read the Bible. You know, you've met people like that. Maybe that's you. Hey, are you reading your Bible? I've already read the Bible. No, no, it's not that kind of book. It's not a book that you just read so you can say you read it. It's a manual for your life. It is fresh and new. It is living and powerful. It is something that, you know, Jesus himself said, hey, I do not live on bread alone, but on every single word of God. And so the Bible is not like a novel or like, it's a, it's a manual for life. And as you read it and you're just open, the Holy Spirit will give believers new insights that you didn't have. Now, I thought this was a fun insight and I do believe in its accuracy. I believe God has in his word, little hidden gems for us. You don't need the hidden gems to understand Christ. You don't need to understand that. But even think of some of the hidden gems that were available to the religious leaders at the time they were alive. If they would have just paid attention to Psalm 22, if they would have just understood the prophetic words of even in Genesis, remember you have God, the Holy Spirit hovering, They'd have an understanding that they wouldn't miss the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, when he came in human flesh. If they would have just paid attention, there were hidden gems in the prophetic words, not just in the words of the psalmist. And so I encourage you, as God, he has so much waiting for you in the Bible. So much. And even if the, uh, one of the things that, that stirs me up in my reading is, I like to read in another translation that I'm not used to. Because then it makes me stop. And I go, does it really say that? You know, I, I like the New Living Translation. I use that a lot. I was just reading it this morning. I got in a little early before everyone. So I just opened up. I was reading in Colossians. And I was just so encouraged by reading the perspective of Paul's letter to the Colossians, having to deal with false teachings and all the things they were wrestling with. I was just so encouraged. Um, you can open. Let me turn. I have it still open for you on my computer here. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. And let me just share with you the hidden gem that the Lord gave to me this morning. I've read, I've read Colossians, I don't know how many times. I don't keep track. Maybe 100, 200, 300. I don't know how many times. But I was so encouraged by this section. And it really was consistent with our prayer time, with what God is doing. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 6 of chapter 1, I'm going to read to you from the New Living in Colossians. It just disappeared now. Let me get back here. He says, this same good news, verse 6, that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit. Listen to this. It is bearing fruit everywhere. Isn't that encouraging? It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Can I just share with you that if all the input you get is the news, 
the inflation, the money, the politics, the housing, the rent, all the things that are difficult, you will be extremely discouraged. You will forget that there is a greater message. You'll forget it. You'll just be overwhelmed by it. Because, you know, when you hear that, it affects you personally. You hear of inflation? Yeah, I know inflation. You hear about finances? Yeah, I understand. You hear about rent? Yes, I live that reality. And so if that's the only world you live in, you'll forget about the other world. You'll forget about the other message. You'll forget about what's super important. And as important are the, are the things that affect us daily, and they are. I'm not in any way minimizing the challenges that we're all facing in our world today and our culture. There is a greater issue that's happening on the earth today, and that is men and women are dying daily. Christless eternity awaits them. That's the greatest problem on the earth today. That, that double-digit inflation that was back in the 70s, now it's back and something will happen and we'll move on until the day of the Lord. The Holy Spirit it, it testifies in the word that there is a time that's appointed for the soon return of Jesus Christ. And just reading this morning, I mean, just reading it this way, just enlivened my heart. It's not enough for me sometimes just to turn off the news because I still need to live in reality. Like I can't just stop watching the news, you know, because then I won't know what's going on. I won't have an open heart to, to pray over and say, well, how does the word of God apply to this? What, what, what are we all living in? So it's not that. And you're like, well, Ed, I can't stop it. That's part of my life. That's but yes, I know. But listen, this is what the appeal was. The appeal was this. Hey, listen, the word of God, the good news that came to you is going all over the world. It's going all over the world. Whether you're a part of it or not, it's going all over the world. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it going more ways, more places. And it's bearing, so wherever it goes, it's bearing fruit everywhere. How? By changing lives. So what's the message that changes lives? Your opinion? Go ahead, answer me out loud. Your opinion? No. Now we have cameras with retinal scans. We know who you are. And we're going to hold you accountable to what you just said. And you're like, do you really? No, not really. But I will hold you accountable. You just said your opinion doesn't matter. So why are you sharing it so much? Why, why is it such an important? Why is your opinion so important? I don't see the Bible says your opinion's going around the world, changing lives everywhere it goes. No, it doesn't. And by the way, you probably have a different opinion now than you did five years ago. That's normal. We change our minds all the time. God's word never changes. The good news of the gospel never changes. And so in our lives, it's a lesson that God's teaching us as followers of Christ to yield our opinions to the word of God and let the word of God change our minds. You can change your minds, no problem. Well, change your mind according to the word. Be more about what changes lives. Be more about the good news. What they use the phrase, the good news. We use the phrase, the gospel. Let's read, go over to Colossians if you have in the New King James. I'm gonna read it in my New King James, because I didn't really compare this morning. I didn't have time, but let me see what this passage says in the New King James, chapter one, verse six. So it, it starts with, uh, let's go to verse three. We give thanks to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith uh, in Christ, your love and hope, which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So here it is, the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you 
as it has in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew of the grace of God in truth. And so I love what the NLT brings out. It's changing lives just like it changed your life. And what were we praying about today? A remembering the day your life was changed. There's hidden gems everywhere if you're just open for a fresh word from the Holy Spirit. It's not a new Bible. It's a new understanding of what you've read and become so familiar with. You know, some of you might open up Colossians, go, yes, I know Colossians. That's the city of Colossae. They're writing against the Gnostics. And you take a very intellectual approach to that when the Lord's going, no, I just want you to, to learn about how much I love you and gave you the good news. Get to the Gnostics later. Get to the, where the city of Colossae is. I was so excited when we did a Footsteps of Paul trip uh, and we did a seven uh, church trip and a Footsteps of Paul. I was so excited about that trip. I was so excited to see all these. They took us to Colossae. You know what Colossae is today? A mound of dirt with a sign on top that says Colossae. That's it. We actually climbed to the top of the mound of dirt. It's all under who knows how many layers of dirt. And so even in that, just like thinking, what are you excited to see? Well, I mean, I guess it's kind of cool to see an ancient city, and it is kind of cool because, you know, the Bible is rooted in historical fact, yes, but you know what's more exciting is that through the life of the church of Colossae, we have a book in the Bible that was written to them that's ministering to me today. They might, that city might be a lump of dirt, but this lump of dirt, remember we learned that in Genesis 2, gets to learn and be alive and animated by the Holy Spirit to be reminded of this simple truth, Ed. And it, it comes with a question, Ed, are you a part of the good news going around the world? Because if you are, then it's bearing fruit. Remember how it bears fruit in your life? Yes. If you are, then it's changing lives. And isn't that what your heart of hearts really wants to see and experience? Changed lives. So come back with me to Genesis, this hidden gem, fun to look at. It's only the beginning though, you know, because the message of God's love and his plan for redemption is breathed into the life of the universe and all creation. In the earliest chapters of Genesis, God has already laid out his plan of redemption for the difficulty that sin brought into mankind. And the names, really in summary of any genealogy, this one, the one we get to in different places in the scriptures, the genealogy, the names actually tell a love story. They reveal a love story, fulfilled when Jesus shed his blood and gave his life on a wooden cross over 2,000 years. Every name has a meaning, even more your name. Your name means so much to the heart of God, who you are. I know you and I, we didn't get much choice in the names we were given, but there are names. And God, he knows our name. He knows your name. You have eternal meaning and value. But truly, that meaning and value is only truly realized when your life is aligned with the will of your heavenly Father. Coming back to living by grace, a life of surrender. Remember when we share the invitation, like I will right now, for those of you that have never given your life to Jesus Christ, what will I quote? Let me show you in your Bible so you can see it. Would you turn over to Romans chapter 10? This is such an important verse that I have it right here on the pulpit for even for our guests to see. And those of you who don't, don't, don't get to come up on the stage or don't get to see the pulpit, there are two things on the pulpit. 
On the left-hand side, I have a little note here. It says, lead everyone past you and into the arms of Jesus. They need him and not you. That's right up here taped. Uh, it has been on every pulpit that I've had. And then on the right side, there's another thing taped here. It's Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Because if I forget it or I'm caught up in the moment, I always want to be able to quote it accurately. And there's a word that we might read by, you know, might just read past so quickly, but it has great significance. God doesn't waste his space with words. And so what does it say? That if you confess with your mouth the, what does your Bible say? The Lord Jesus. It's not just Jesus but there's a confession going on where you are now living and committing to live for Jesus as your Lord. And you may not fully understand that. You may not fully even know what, have that definition yet. But let me tell you, friend, when you submit your life to Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of your life. Or he's not. It's not partial. It's not half and half. He takes immediate control of your life and yet still gives you freedom. He doesn't take away your, your free moral agent. You still have freedom to live. You can have everything you want but that. And so what do you run after? That. And then suffer the consequences. No, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it goes on to say, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with, con with the mouth confession is made to salvation. And so anyone here today, anyone watching online or listening live on the radio, or, you know, these get broadcast all over the country, around the world, at who knows when, because the Bible, whenever the word goes out, it doesn't matter when it goes out, it, always will, uh, uh, it will always accomplish the purpose for which it's sent. So you can listen to a Bible study that's 100 years, 100 years old, and it'll get right to your heart, man, because God uses his word. So whenever you're hearing this, even now in the moment, this is the invitation, that you would acknowledge your sin before God, repent, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, confess that sin, and determine to live your life for him. And I want to invite you to do just that. If you're here today, and you say, Ed, I need and I want to follow Jesus Christ. I need my sins forgiven. Would you just stand to your feet right now? This is the moment of truth right now for you. you this is the invitation of God in and among us today to confess him as your Lord and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. He is alive today, ready to forgive your sins, ready to restore what has been lost, ready to give you direction, eternal significance and salvation to be lived out. You already have eternal significance. You're just not living it or enjoying it. Anyone here? It's always a special thing for a midweek too because that's the night I got saved. God bless you. I got saved on a Wednesday night. It was such a truly glorious moment that God is ministering to you. And so pastors, if you're in the area or someone's in the area, come and, and lay hands on those that are responding so the Holy Spirit just can affirm to them that they're loved and cared for and that it's just a beautiful thing. And even as a rededication, Lord, just been a heavy thing, I get it. God hears you and sees you. God loves you. Linda, can you come over here? Put your hands on Donna here just to minister to her, encourage her. So pray with me, would you?
those that respond, you could pray near and far. You could say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I confess you as my Lord today and believe that you live for me, died for me, and rose again from the dead to save my soul. I'm asking you, God, to help me turn away from my sinful past to live for you all the days of my life. And Lord, I know that you touch some too that just rededicated just a heaviness on that they want to cast those weights. And I, I pray for that as well, that you would honor that desire to draw near to you, honor that desire to just walk cleanly before you, standing, sitting, it doesn't matter. Continue to move among us, have your way in and through us. And may we be a part of what was said here in Colossians, the good news going around the world changing lives just like it changed ours. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.